How to Tell Stories to Children is a bi-weekly podcast exploring the science and methodology of storytelling. I am Silke Rose West. And I am Joseph Saracy. We are the authors of How to Tell Stories to Children. Our goal is to foster diverse storytelling by helping individuals like you awaken to the storyteller within. Good morning, Joe. We wanted to talk today a little bit about creativity and ways to access our imaginations. It's actually probably the number one feedback we get from some of our listeners and readers is sometimes people report that they have a hard time just getting into that imaginative world. So we'd really want to try to open that up. What are ways that we as adults, just in our lives, right here and now, how can we, you know, we'll share some ideas about how Silka and I kind of tap into our imaginations, but also try to hit some clear steps and guidelines to help the average person who maybe feels intimidated or, you know, in some way that it's hard. So, uh, Silka. Would you maybe start us off with just what you know, what I think would be really interesting to share is that I Soka, you're such a creative you're so deeply in your imagination. And I wonder if just as you pay attention and observe yourself, can you describe what are some of the ways that you access that world? that you keep it alive for yourself, that you make it so accessible? Thanks for that question, Joe. I would say the secret is children, being around young children, mm. working with children between the age of three and six for more than half of my life uh, brought always so much joy to me because the young child lives still in this imagination and so it has allowed me to stay present with it. If I would have gone into a world without young children, it would have probably been more difficult for me. Um, but for the young child, if I say, oh, look at this tree, it's alive, the branches are moving and it looks like the tree fairies are sitting up high, they're like, oh yeah, of course, the tree fairies are up there. And so the dialogue that I have with the children in this imaginary realm comes across sometimes to adults like, what's she talking about? Who is she talking about? <laughs> and yet the children, they look at me like, of course, I get it. And occasionally you have a child that will say, well, that's not true. There's nothing there. It happens too, but I would say overall, a young child naturally taps into that. Okay, so that's, a, that's helpful. We can start there. Uh, number one, what I hear you saying is that staying present and observing the ways that our children are tapping into that imagination and creative world, that that's one way to keep ourselves connected. 
Yes. And then, and then I, I want to, I want to actually push you a little bit on that because while I do think that's true, you're, you're very playful because you are with children. I, my experience is actually that you have a, a playfulness in that way that is not, I, 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 I believe that's inherent in you a little bit as well. And so it's not merely the influence of other children that kind of keeps you in touch with this imaginary creative world. I believe that you as a creature are very actively mm, cultivating that in your life. And I'm, I want to know if there are ways that you can identify that you are keeping that rich and fertile. Mm-hmm. I think when I was young, the imagination sometimes helped me even in my own survival because there were some things that were a little bit overwhelming to me as a child. I grew up on a big farm. There was always a lot to do. And when I went into my own imaginary world, I felt kind of safe and happy. And this is a place that I can, when I access that today in my life too, that I, instead of going out my back door and think about all the work that has to be done in the garden, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to water all these plants and I have to put a shade cover here and I have to pull out the weeds. I, as a human being, get overwhelmed. And so I actually allow myself to stand in that back door and look out and, and imagine how, how many fairy helpers I have or how all these birds are so happy and they're like messengers from Mother Nature telling me how happy they are. And in that moment, my ability to approach my work becomes so much easier. And when I'm doing that, when I tap into that imagination, I'm, I'm just a happier person. And it helps me to overcome things that are a little bit difficult. Okay, so then I'm going to reflect that back kind of as a number two, and I hear you saying this both as a child and as an adult, that <laughs> and as, maybe this would be obvious, but, but maybe it's not, is that when you access that imaginary world, it's a world of safety and joy, by and large, for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just pointing that out because, hmm, perhaps maybe it's not for everybody, right? Sometimes maybe for some of us, especially as adults, some of the experiences and things we've gone through in our lives is that when we get into, into that creative, in a way it's a mind space. Um, I think there's some people, I know some people, um, I've actually... Been, been involved in a number of meditation circles. And I remember one man in particular who just, he just swore up and down that meditation was not the right thing for him because he felt like mentally he just wasn't very healthy. And that when he sat there with his own thoughts and let them kind of percolate and go where they did, he found it to be almost terrifying, right? I don't, I don't mean to steer this conversation this mm-hmm. way, except to say, it's an interesting point that you make. You were busy as a child. You're busy as an adult. When your mind turns to that place of imagination, it's joy that you turn to. It's fun. Um, it's safe. So maybe this is another place to help us understand how are we cultivating our own imaginations, 
right? Number one, we're staying in touch with kids. Number two, when we're turning to our imaginations, we're turning maybe purposefully to a joyful, creative place. We're looking for that. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I heard you say in, in, that, in that second piece was that you sometimes transform real situations. You look for these helpers. You call in the fairies. And I want to ask you, kind of in a very just cut and dry way, (laughs) (laughs) just for yourself internally when you do that, what is it that goes on in your own mind or in your own being? Are you truly believing this? Are you, do you know that it's a fiction and yet it's a pleasant fiction for you? Is a little bit of an in-between? Or or what is it in that range of experience? Because I suspect that there's another aspect of how we cultivate creativity in ourselves in in that answer. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I will try and answer to that. You ask me if I believe in that. Um... You could say, do you believe in fairy tales? And I would say, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I I believe in it because in believing in it, I can experience, I can experience the joy of whatever the stocking being filled on Christmas morning. And even in my mind, and even if I'm, say, Santa's helper, I can still believe that Santa, whatever, came down the chimney or that with the fairy tale, when I believe in that, then I'm like, oh, this is this is actually so exciting. And if I think like, oh, yeah, Joe stayed up late last night to make sure the stocking is filled, that's a boring picture for me. And then I'm like, it, it doesn't excite me. So I I used I feel like I need to have it be real in order to feel the excitement around it. And because I work with young children, if I'm not authentic, if if I were to fake it, they would totally pick it up. Mm-hmm. But I don't fake it. And because I don't fake it, I think the children are so easily following me into my storytelling realm. Yeah, I don't know if there's something else I would need to come back to. I think you answered the question. And so I'm going to try to keep us and and keep repeating these insights. So I'm hearing this. We're staying involved. We're learning and actually observing from our own children. We're turning to our imagination in general because it's a joyful place. It's a safe place. And there's this element of belief in your own fairy tale, let's say. I think I think you also you also have some skepticism woven in there, right? You're not just fooled. Maybe that's not even the right word. But there is there is some element in you that truly believes in the story and that imagination place because when you touch in and you're believing it and holding it yourself, right? The kids follow along kind of effortlessly. That's what I hear you saying. And I've experienced it so many times. I think that you're right. Yeah. And then you come back to Albert Einstein, who is like, oh, imagination is more important than knowledge. 
you come to Rudolf Steiner who created schools where imagination is fostered in the early years. And uh, what happens in order to foster the imagination, you simplify the environment. You really simplify it. Don't give the ready product. And you think of someone like Albert Einstein who was so brilliant with all that he gave to the world. He had to be able to think outside of the box that was given that said, this is what it is. And he's like, well, no, I, I can actually see way more if I only open that lid. And that lid is, is basically the doorway to my own imagination. I have some ideas about how it comes alive for me, which relates to that, maybe are some slightly different things. But then what I'd like to do, if we can, is get into some real concrete suggestions for our listeners um, of what a person can do to try to bring this alive. Because again, it's the number one piece of feedback that, that we get, is that sometimes it's just hard to be creative. A couple things that I thought of entering into this conversation is personification. I think that is an extremely helpful tool. Um, and what I mean is basically just any, any object ascribing it basically a personality, just, just allowing almost anything and everything to have a bit of a personality. I've really learned this from you, Silka, but I find that when I look at the world that way, it does draw out some very creative stories and ideas. And so what I'm talking about is that the tree, you know, it has a person, it has a personality, it talks, it has an idea, it has a certain way of being. Even a rock can be this way, the animals can be this way, the flower, I mean, almost anything and everything that I look at, I give it a sort of character. And when that happens, stories just come alive. I, I hear you saying something similar in having all the fairies and the something in the garden that makes work more easy for you. Right. And I think this was actually something that the indigenous people of this uh, continent or worldwide have actually until this day, that, uh, the, that they talk about the tree people or the rock people. And so they have a very live imagination. And when they were schooled to approach things from a different level, they were supposed to not believe in that anymore. But in the core of their being, they knew that that's how we approach the world. And so the world becomes this living being. So in our own imagination, if we can allow that, if we can allow ourselves to take this rock. And if somebody who doesn't have a strong imagination might need to have to paint two eyes with a permanent marker on that rock in a face or a smiley face and say, oh, look, and start talking to that rock just as an exercise. Because first you're going to feel like, wow, I hope no one sees me. I look really stupid right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you're talking to your rock. And then, you know, and then put the rock in the other hand where you don't see the face on it and still talk to the rock. Now you're talking to the rock without seeing the face. And, and see, what does your mind tell you? Is your mind telling you, oh my gosh, I hope no one is watching me talking to this rock. Are you comfortable? You know, 
And then the next step you could do is you put the rock on the dinner table. And when your children come home, you say, oh, I found this rock person today. And uh, your children look at you and like, um, because maybe that's not something you ever have done before. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, well, I went down to the stream and I saw this rock person and the rock person asked me, what is it like around your dinner table? I said, well, you have to come home with me and be right here on the table. And your children might look at you and say, but that's just a rock. And then you could say, well, that rock has a story to tell. Do you want to hear that story? So now that rock is actually helping you. And by, in, as, I say, as you said, personifying something can help. And maybe you do have to draw, as I said, the eyes on it and a smiley face or something that, that helps you to see it. Yeah. Well, I don't need that, but maybe for someone who has not engaged in that way with the earth or with things, that that can help. And of course, you could also easily take a doll or something that's ready-made, but the imagination gets sharpened if you use an object that is very simple, as simple as the stone, as simple as a stick. And with the stick, the same thing. You can, if you need, you know, you can put some eyes on it and maybe small enough just for you to see that no one else can see them. Mm. And then pretend that's a rock, uh, that's a stick person. Uh, because the stick person, and this is where imagination is so powerful, because it's not so defined that it has white hair or red hair or black hair, you know, you in your mind, you can describe the stick person and can, it can be sad or it can be happy or it can be angry. No one sees the face. Only you can see that. And that empowers you to create the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? I remember when my daughter was particularly young. It's very common. You know, we were very simple. We didn't get her a lot of toys and we didn't get her a lot of like, you know, fully formed, like human looking toys. And boy, would she take colored pencils or sometimes little wooden blocks and all of them were people to her. And she would arrange them as people and each one had had its place and it was important. Um, and she would, you know, they would go to bed um, stones would be like this. I mean, oh my gosh, it was just amazing how generic an object it could be sometimes that had this incredibly rich personality to it, and usually through a group. And I see that a little bit in myself. And so again, I'm, I'm trying to identify what are the things, <laughs> because I think you and I, Silka, you know, we, we're, we do this a lot. So we're pretty deeply uh, tapped in to creativity and imagination. But I'm trying to identify why and what are some of the hiccups that maybe other folks are running into along the way. And I also just even think of myself now when we're talking about this personification. I think I go through my days looking, you know, anytime I'm interacting with a certain object, I do give it a little bit of, of personhood or um, 
it's just, it has a bit of a being. I'm thinking a lot right now, actually, of the dishes, because often when I'm doing the dishes and then, you know, they're, they're stacking up in the dish drainer and then, and then one falls over or I knock it a little bit too much, I always shout, whoa, hey there, buddy, you know, as if it's like my standard go-to comment of like, watch it there, you know, as if we're communicating to each other a little bit. And I, I see you do this with a lot of things too. That So even in these moments, I'm not telling stories, but there's this way that in almost every interaction that I have, um, even when I'm getting the cheese out, I'm kind of like, all right, buddy, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cut a piece off you. I'm sorry, but here I go. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that there's this way I'm cultivating this personhood or this relationship to this being, even though I know it's imaginary, but it has a bit of a person quality. And so just putting that out there is another idea for our listeners to try to tap into and hearing what you said, Silka, which is start with something actually simple. Or actually, you know, maybe maybe the idea is start with anything that works. If that sounds like a crazy idea to you, if you're listening and going, what? I'm not going to treat every single thing in my life as if it's another, you know, person. Try picking something that you can and going from there. But I liked your idea of starting very simple and plain so that, you know, a rock, a stick, a carrot, because then the being that it becomes is really becoming that through your own imagination rather than this fully formed doll which has a face which either looks happy or kind of serious or whatever it might be that is already keying into us those characteristics. Does that make sense? Yes. And I would also like to say that, um, you know, I, I was born in 1965 and so I was born into a time when people didn't have cell phones or computers and so before children come to me and point to my phone and they would say game or story and they're like make that happen on your device and they know that can happen. Now I have two options. I can turn on my phone or I can you know say oh sure we can find a game but I could also, I personally would probably say, well, I have a game for you. Let's see if we can find a phone in the woods. I could find actually a stone and turn that into a phone. And my children in the forest kindergarten would do that because they didn't see me on the phone. And so, but they, the children imitate. And so they imitate us as adults. And uh, so they would take their stones and they would pretend to turn it into a laptop. And then one boy's like, oh, I need to call my mom and I need to have a phone so I can call her. And I'm like, well, you can actually, we can use a leaf and we'll uh, send a little text message in the leaf and she can get it. Because we are really having the challenge right now in these times to, to bridge these kind of uh, devices, the, the cell phone, for example, that could so easily stand in the way because your child is like, well, just get me a story out of that thing. Push the button. I know which one. And so it actually allows us to become a little lazy mm -hmm. in order to sharpen the imagination. If you don't, if, if you don't feel like you can arrive there naturally, I would say you most likely would have to turn off your telephone and your computer and your TV and perhaps go even outside where these things are not accessible 
and leave them consciously in the house and say, okay, let's see what we're going to find. And you might actually feel yourself empty-handed because you don't have your phone or even a little bit nervous about it. It, it really, I think for us modern humans in this particular time, that can be challenging. Yeah. But if you could give it as much time, like 30 minutes, what feels okay for you? An hour, you know, even if it's just 10 minutes. Really turn the devices off and say, I want to actually do an exercise to strengthen my imagination. I think that's what it would take. Yeah, that's that, that's an that's an excellent point, and I think it's one that we come back to all the time, which is that storytelling is a practice, right? It's not something you're not training for the marathon. In some ways, you do. You're actually training for the marathon of raising a child. Well, okay, okay. And that's 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 really. I mean, the thing is, if you start now, when your child is a teenager, and you have that power that storyteller power, that you have cultivated that imagination. It will really, in the teenagerhood, it will come in so handy. I raised teenagers. And I know that there are times when you're like, I told you, you need to be home on time. And then when you can tap into your own imaginary being and you can find maybe even a story you will realize that that connection you created when your child was young is still strong. I, I don't disagree. I, I meant to be saying something like this. Sometimes I think in our, our modern culture, we see this in a lot of ways. You know, each one of us experiences such uh, perfection in so many skills, right? Like you're not plumbing your house until the plumber shows up and he and he knows exactly what to do and he's been doing you know so all you do is you see expert level skill in so many things you know you turn on the tv and it's just this incredible fabulous show that's put together and then bam you know it's right there for you you know you're reading a book all you got to do is you turn on your kindle and boom you've got this awesome story or nonfiction thing we have so much expert level skill around us that we think that we have to show up that way uh, in our cooking, in our parenting, right? In our, in our storytelling. And yes, in some sense, we are training for a marathon, but, but we don't really ever actually run the marathon in a sense. We don't, we don't, it's not about winning. It's not about getting there and winning and doing it right. It's actually the training that is the beauty that is the thing. Right. It's in the practice of doing it. And so, but I think this is a, a really important point about creativity too, is that, you know, if we're out there and we're feeling a little bit dull in our own creative powers, I think that maybe it's really worth reflecting on like, well, are you exercising it? Because if you're not doing that regularly, you still have a giant pool of imagination and creativity accessible to you, but you are going to have to practice and kind of take baby steps to get there a little bit. So creating that regular routine to open those doors back up a little wider for you is, I, 
boy, I think it's one of the, the most valuable things a person could do. Yeah, I agree. And I think because young children imitate, if they see you have the strength to do that one day, when they are just wanting to be on their devices, you can remind them that you took that step of like practicing, practicing to whatever, go out in the garden and listen to the wind or talk to the rock or dance with the plant fairies and say, remember when I did that? And oh, it was so hard in the beginning and mm -hmm. we can do it. I feel like that that's what young young people need nowadays. They need to see that the adults are willing to step into this very uncomfortable place and to own it and not to do that quietly behind a corner because we're afraid somebody's going to watch us. You know, you can sit in the park and talk to the rock <laughs> and, you know, and let yourself actually be also in the discomfort of someone looking at you and saying like, wow, is she okay? What problem does this guy have? You that's know. Funny. Yeah. Okay. Something that that that's helping me see that a little bit because um, you know I asked you earlier like, do you believe it? Do you actually believe these things? And um, I think it is a complicated and interesting question. And I, sometimes when I I ask myself the same things, and there's parts of me that that strongly believes in that fairy tale element, and that can feel it. Right? Can feel it. And there's at equally at least another part of me that goes, this is all BS. Um, I'm just making this up. Um, and that's not true. It's not actually true, right? And um, I have both of those parts. And yet, especially in the moment, like especially when I'm there with the kids and we're enjoying it, you know, we're enjoying that creative expression it's really important to tap into a storyline, a character, a something that, in a sense, you want to believe in. And so and what I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring up the example of something that, that, that we often experience that, right, in watching a movie or reading a book, right? We, we know <laughs> that this actually is not true. I mean, we plainly and completely know, and yet we can be drawn up into that experience very potently, right? So if, if you yourself are listening right now at home and going, well, how do, I don't know how to really believe it. Ask yourself, when was the last time that you read a, a book, a fiction, or heard a story, or watched a movie that you knew wasn't true, yet it really caught you, it really gripped you? That's the kind of thing that you're looking for in yourself when you're telling a story it's a fine line between believing it and disbelieving it and you're not even so attached to whether it's true or not it's that the story has enough pull that you're 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 in it you're with it yeah and that is actually requiring you to tune into your heart and how 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 does it feel and arrive at that place of what does that feel like? Is that a good feeling? Because some stories too, I mean, imaginary stories that have been turned into movies can create tremendous fear where, you know, someone is all of a sudden afraid of a zombie 
it's an imaginary thing that has been created and it has grown so big that then that zombie could rule your life. So how do we actually overpower that zombie with our own imagination? And we can, I believe we can. Mm -hmm. But as long as we let that zombie be in the living room and appear on a big screen, for example, it's going to be hard. You, you have to really be saying, hey, no, I'm going to find a way to tap into my imagination that I can come up with a story that chases that zombie away. Mm. He is actually not going to come into my kitchen. And if he does, I'm going to teach him how to make some mashed potatoes because I think he might be good at that. And I could use a little help, you know. Zombie mashed potatoes. Um, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. Joseph Saracy here. We're going to get back to the podcast in a second, but I want to share a few announcements. First, thanks for listening. We love your comments and questions too, so keep them coming. You can reach us on our About page at howtotellstoriestochildren.com. Second, please rate this podcast and write a review if you have the time. It makes it easier for other folks to find us. You can also pledge $4 at Patreon and help keep this podcast alive and free for everyone. Third, the relaunch of our book is scheduled for June 22nd. We're going to be announcing lots of extra events, interviews, and giveaways in the next few months, so stay tuned. If you're not already on our mailing list, you can sign up at howtotellstoriestochildren.com. Finally, we're delighted to announce that the book has 15 foreign editions and counting, including Chinese, German, Japanese, Spanish, Korean, Arabic, and a whole lot more. So, wherever you're listening, you're bound to find a copy soon. Okay, now back to the episode. Okay, no, one, one other thing that I wanted to bring up, which I think is really important here in fostering creativity, drawing it out of ourselves, is uh, visual imagery. In the study of brain science, you know, that the, the amount of brain space that is dedicated to our visual systems is enormous, especially as compared to our other senses. We're highly visual creatures. And when we speak about imagination, sometimes many of us almost think of it synonymously with this image, imagination. It's something that we see. It's not exclusively, obviously. There's lots of ways to be uh, creative and tap into imagination through sound and, and smell and all, even nonsense. But I think it's a very important realm is the picturing of a story. And I often describe telling a story as just watching it. That, that's often how it feels to me. I can kind of close my eyes and then it's, it's as if the story tells itself to me and I just describe it. I think that happens a lot of ways for different people, but cultivating this imagery in one's mind and following the story. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's the secret of your Waldorf early childhood um, programs. It's that we are working in the Waldorf kindergartens very much with helping children to develop their inner pictures 
of the story and therefore our surroundings are also fairly uh, simple but very thoughtfully laid out so that the child is in an you could say optimal learning space to create the inner picture mm -hmm. yeah okay so could we just steer into some concrete ideas for for people out there you know because people people who already just got it down they, they're not even listening because they don't need to listen right <laughs> what are some concrete ideas to help somebody who's sitting at home being like, you know, I'm really interested in this and I really love connecting with my kid through stories, but I have a hard time accessing this. And I'm an adult, I've lived through my whole life now and my whole experience and I'm, I am who I am. What can that person do today to take steps to help open the doors? If the doorway isn't open or if this is something that you're completely new to, I would invite you to look around your home and find a storyteller corner for yourself and maybe create a little bit of a separation from the rest of the living room, kind of have a little corner where you put a little shelf or something and you can hide in there and pretend that you're a small storyteller that is in this little nook and you're going into this little nook and there you're going to start telling the story or to go outside into nature. You'd have to create almost a little bit of separation from the big world around you that um, is not necessarily supporting your storytelling because the other world might be very logical or says like, oh, come over here, we are dirty, the dishes in the kitchen, there's all these distractions. You want to create a space that has the least amount of distractions. Mm. And so I would also would create, like imagine you're making yourself a meditation corner and this is your storyteller corner. It has your favorite pillow on the ground when you sit there. For 10 minutes, you can go into this, I tell a little story and have very limited things around you or something or take only one thing to start with into that corner, a crystal, a stone, you know, a piece of wood, a pine cone you found on your morning walk. And then say, I'm willing to start very simple with this little pine cone in my quiet corner. And oftentimes we ask of children to be quiet and to listen. And that's actually the silence and the listening is what is important in order to create the inner picture. Mm. And when the, there is too many distractions around, oftentimes, you know, we're looking at all the pictures on the wall and all the things all around. And all of a sudden I'm getting constantly distracted and I have a hard time myself as storyteller holding the picture or for the children to be able to listen because they're looking at their toys they're right there oh maybe i rather want to go off because you know i i can't hold the picture that sounds like a really important point to me is that silence is the quietness um, and not just in in the sound but even sort of visually as you're saying a safe place that you're going and i think 
that that's also a comfortable place. It's a, it's a place of ease. The distractions of work or needing to wash the dishes, all these things that, that we can see and feel in our house environment uh, can be major distractions and can make it harder for us to access that imagery and that creative voice. Yeah, and make it special for yourself. So when you enter into it, it's not like I'm going to work. I got to get this down. I better get it right this time. <laughs> when you enter it, it should be maybe make it your favorite color. And maybe the pillow is on the ground or maybe you got yourself a special storyteller chair. And then when you arrive, you're like, I'm doing this for myself. And actually allow yourself to feel how good that feels before, like, I'm doing this for my children. Maybe arrive and say, I'm doing this for myself. Yeah, that, that, that really resonates with me. I think that's something that I personally emphasize a lot is sometimes if we're trying to do something for our children, that itself can be a bit of a distraction because now we're trying to do something for someone else. It takes us out of it a little bit. Um, the expression of creativity is so deeply linked with uh, human levels of happiness and satisfaction. When we express our own creativity, it's extremely uh, meaningful to us as beings. And so if we can see it as, you know, I'm investing in myself. I actually just wanna feel good. I wanna feel good and productive and creative because when I do, I'm happy inside. And what's wonderful is I can share that with my children and it's just like, whoa, I'm triply happy now. It's this beautiful expression. But don't count yourself out of those experiences. Don't do it for your children. Do it with your children. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I would also say if you, if you do it, if you cultivate the storyteller in you, I would actually, in that corner, you could put their pillow, and if the child asks, what are you doing? You could say, oh, I'm telling a story. And not even you have to come and sit here and listen. But experience what would happen if your child comes and say, can I sit here? And you're like, mm, yes, but you know, this is the quiet pillow. You'd have to just, you'd have to be really quiet because it's actually hard telling a story. Like if you interrupt me or something, then I might lose the story. That's why I created this corner. So when I come into this corner, I can sit and I can stay with my story. And I'm not quite practiced yet to tell it. But if you, if you want to sit here, maybe I will find my voice and maybe I can tell it. It's not so easy, but I could give it a try. So if you want to stay here and be patient, maybe the story will be spoken loud. Mm. And even then the child is not being told, oh, come here, I'm learning how to tell stories to you so we have a better life. It's like I'm doing something that is good for me and uh, of course I want to share that. It's very different than when we tell our kids they have to come and sit down because we want to tell them a story. Mm -hmm. You know, and before you know it, the child will sit in the storyteller chair and say, hey, you want to come, daddy, and sit down? I have a story, but you got to be quiet and you can't interrupt me. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm going to lose my story, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what, you know what it makes me think of a little bit too, because, you know, we're all different, you know, the different, I mean, some of us will get comfortable sitting in a little nook on a pillow, uh, in the house in a quiet space. But, um, I think, you know, sure there's, there's a lot of, uh, parents out there who are, you know, who are very, uh, you know, let's, let's say in the modern world and have busy lives and are doing, you know, and, and might, might get comfortable in different ways, right? Sure. There's a lot of different people. So we're just talking about creating a, com- a, a safe, comfortable space, you know, for um, some people that might be out in the garage with all your tools, sure. you know, yeah. working on the car. <laughs> it yeah. might be, um, actually, it might be in your office, I don't know, um, where you've got your computers and things hard for me to imagine that exactly but there might be some people out there go actually like this is kind of this is where i feel cozy this is where i feel comfortable i'm at peace here because i know where i've got all my stuff and actually therefore i can kind of drop in somehow whatever it is you know maybe it's in the bath it could be in the pantry it could be in your car yes so i mean this is only one way as i described and uh, you could just take that picture and find that place for yourself somewhere in you know what works for you yeah and the practice and the practice the 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 constantly coming back and really testing that watching your own observation like what happens if you decide to just dedicate 10 minutes once a week to telling a story just 10 minutes and watch what happens week after week after week. Now you're gonna to have to be able to return to it, but I strongly believe that by really even just the third week, I think that you will find that it's easier to open those creative doors because that practice is going to, it's going to remind you how to do it and it's going to start getting a little bit richer and a little bit richer and a little bit richer over time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, th- I think we covered a lot of interesting topics there. Yeah, I don't know. Any final words? Imagine telling stories wherever you are. Nothing that's going to hinder you. <laughs> You'll be the shining star. <laughs> yeah, just imagine yourself growing and becoming that storyteller. Just knowing that your voice is the most precious gift you can give your child and your presence and, and to yourself. And even let yourself hear your own voice and know that it's such a gift. And uh, no matter what anyone ever told you and uh, just really feel into that and uh, may you soar with a joyful imagination thank you for listening to how to tell stories to children a bi-weekly podcast from the authors of how to tell stories to children an acclaimed new book empowering parents and teachers across the world. A new edition is due out in 15 languages from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in June of 2021. You can find more story ideas at howtotellstoriestochildren.com and on our Facebook page. You can also submit questions and topics. We like to hear from you. 
And by pledging $4 on Patreon, you can help us keep this podcast alive and free for everyone. Together, we can spread the intimacy and joy of storytelling, one family at a time.